It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner. My car key continues to work. The car started 14 degrees outside. We're in the middle of a heat wave. Glad to be back. Happy New Year. First show of 2018. All right. Spent the last couple weeks. I was uh, on a vacation. The good folks at Scripps are kind enough to give me some time and if you don't use the time, you lose it. So I, I spent the last couple of weeks, I, I was here, but spent a lot of time involved in, in moving. And I think if you're a regular listener to this program, you know I've been I've been in one house for 30 years, and we're kind of in the process of moving into another home, not out of the one house, not ready to quite be in the other house. But I've been going through this interesting process of canceling things and, you know, canceling different things for the old house and getting stuff into the new house. And I want to say, in a general rule, it has been very, very easy. Most places make it easy to do. Most places, you can just go on the website. You want to change your address for your 401k accounts or your bank accounts. No problem. You're on the Internet. You're done in five minutes. You know, just changing the address. Life insurance. No big deal with that. Some places you have to make a phone call. Call the utility company. Hey, I want to start service in my name at this new place. Not ready to cancel at the old place. It's one phone call, and it's it's all taken care of. Um, as somebody who gets... Well, you know, a handful of newspapers. Call the New York Times. New York Times. You can do it on the website. You change delivery from one place to another. It, it's done the next day. Same thing is true with the Wall Street Journal. It, it's been just really, really interesting, and I have to say, very, very easy and very, very user friendly. The cable company. Okay, need to cancel the cable at one place. Need to schedule at the other place. Guy is there when he is supposed to be there. It's been pretty easy, with one exception. And I, I, it just—it's almost—it's almost funny. Uh, maybe this is how the Journal Sentinel decides they want to stay in business because it is impossible. It is impossible to reach anybody in customer service. I tried—I have now tried this three times. Last most recent time being today. All I want to do is change the address from where the paper is currently delivered to my new house. That, that's all I want to do. All right. Call up today. Now, this is the third time. The wait is two hours. Two hours to talk. You can't do it on the Internet. It's two hours to talk to a customer service person. I think it can't be two hours. They can't be serious. So I sit on hold, put it on the speaker while I'm doing other things this morning. After an hour and a half, still nobody there. There must be like one person, presumably somewhere, I don't know, Southeast Asia or wherever, who's answering these phone calls. But it is impossible. And I'm not even trying to cancel the newspaper. All I am trying to do is simply change the delivery from my old address to my new address, and it is almost impossible. Now, they do say, you know, if you leave us a callback number, you know, we'll call you back two and a half or three hours from now. Well, who knows where you're going to be? It is absolutely ridiculous. And, again, um, if you want to wonder why the local newspaper, and, again, it's not fair necessarily to blame local people. My guess is, again, I'm talking to somebody nationally or internationally, but it's almost impossible to do what should be a routine thing and what is routine for most places. So if you haven't tried to transfer the – if you ever move and you want to try to have the paper move with you, good luck. Good luck. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Well, the news this morning kind of blows everything else off the off the map. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, after a very, very disappointing season, but a season that exposes a lot of the problems that the Packers had. Um, Aaron Rodgers, arguably the best player in the National Football League. And, and clearly, you have a guy who 
one player, I think, probably makes the difference between this Packers team being, I don't know, 4 and 12 versus the Packers team being you know, like 10 or 11 and 5 or 10 of 10 and 6. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is that good. And when he got injured, you got to see how bad this team really was. And you can blame a lot on the backup quarterback, who in my opinion isn't very good. But regardless, it, it just, Rodgers masked a lot of problems. And it was all kind of exposed here. And you saw a team that was very, very deeply flawed. And it's been a team that's been deeply flawed for a number of years. So the announcement, okay, no surprise that the defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, fired. The defense has been a disaster for several years. I think one of the questions had always been, was it Capers or was it the personnel? You know, was he just not getting the type of players he needed to play well? They gave Capers a couple chances. Finally, he's gone. There'll be a new defense installed in Green Bay. But then the other question is, what about the guy who's responsible for providing the players? That, of course, is Ted Thompson. And the truth is... Ted Thompson has had has had some hits. I mean, he look, give him credit. He's the guy that, you know, uh, decided to draft Aaron Rodgers in the first round years and years ago, had a big hit on that. He's had a couple big hits in the draft. But in general, for a guy whose philosophy is build a team around draft picks, his draft picks have been underwhelming in the extreme and the truth of the matter is if it weren't not for having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers I mean I don't know that this Packers team would have been in the playoffs year after year after year and I think a lot of us who are fans look at this and say have we squandered opportunities I mean have we wasted you know the best years of a quarterback's career so in any event today whether his hand was forced or not, and there's reports out there suggesting that maybe that's the case. Um, Mark Murphy, who's the president of the Packers, he has relieved Ted Thompson of his duties as general manager. Ted Thompson is going to be reassigned to some other position in the organization, and there will be a new general manager that has brought will be brought in. All right, this is big story number one, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I always hate to see, with the possible exceptions of some politicians who lose elections, I always hate to see people lose their jobs. I I genuinely, I, I really, really do. At the same time, I think that there are, well, there's a couple lessons. Um, and, and one of the, the lessons is, it, it's, people just, it things just run their course. And, and Ted Thompson might have been the perfect the perfect general manager to take over after the Mike Sherman debacle. And and I think Ted Thompson deserves a lot of credit for what he accomplished, including the Super Bowl victory. That said, I think it was way past time for him to go. And I think this is a huge positive step for the Packers. Now they've got to get it right because they have a narrow window of opportunity. I mean, the truth is, You know, Aaron Rodgers, again, I continue to believe probably the best player in the NFL or one of the two or three best players. But, you know, he's getting up there in years. You've probably got three, four, maybe five more years where Rodgers can perform at this top level, barring any more injuries. Now is the time for the Packers. And you need a general manager who's going to come in there and he's going to have to figure out where these players are going to come from, but this idea that we're going to draft players and hope to develop them so they can be players three or four years down the road, that doesn't, to me, work for the Packers. The time is now, 
there is a sense of urgency, and you know we, we can't go into a rebuilding mold. I think replacing Ted Thompson was exactly the right move. And while I hate to see people lose their jobs, and I take my hat off to him and give him credit for his accomplishments, I, it's time to move on, and I'm glad they did this. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Any tears over the departure of Ted Thompson? What do the Packers need to do next? I think there needs to be a sense of urgency, not just the goal to get back to the playoffs next year, but whoever they are interviewing, I think needs to come in with a plan to say, how are we going to get to the Super Bowl next year? 414-799-1620. This is big story number one. Where do the Packers go from here? 1217 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mark Murphy is going to be addressing the press at 1 o'clock. We will carry that or at least dip into it. I'm not sure what he's going to say beyond what we know, but Ted Thompson has been replaced as the Packers general manager. I I want... Look, I, I want to give the guy credit, and, and you got to understand, I mean, the Packers made the playoffs for, what, eight consecutive seasons. That is an incredible accomplishment. But the truth is, having a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers covers a, a lot of problems. And what's happened is he's been so great. You, I think you saw this last year. You certainly saw what happened when Rodgers wasn't there this year. You take a team that people think could have contended for the Super Bowl, and I'm not sure, given the defense, that that's true. But, you know, without Rodgers, it, it's it's a lousy team. And, I mean, I understand that that's tough to say, but it's a lousy team, and I think a lot of that falls on Ted Thompson. I think Mike McCarthy is a really good coach. But I think there's only so much that you can do. I think they realize that Don Capers, I don't know that he's a bad coach. He just didn't have the players who could play you know, in his scheme. So now he's out of a job. But I think it's going to be good for the Packers that they're moving on. 414-799-1620. Mary texts, Favre at the time was a simple pick. That's Rogers. I gave him almost no credit for that. Looking at Thompson currently, he just looks confused would be the nicest way to say it. Um, she goes on to say Thompson would have never picked Rodgers if it wasn't for him being available. And it's a very late pick in the first round. Um, yeah, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Long overdue. Years of watching Kaepernick, Wilson, and others pick up first downs in critical playoff games was sickening with no change. Ted did get Rodgers, but remember, Rodgers should have gone one or two and fell to twenty five. Um, yes, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in Greenfield. Tom, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Jeff, and uh, all your homes that you have. Uh, <laughs> boy, uh, hey, uh, hey, Scripps is t- treating you really good these days. Uh, aren't they? Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> well, you know, what? My, my thought is, well, okay, you've got rid of Don Capers, and you're moving Ted to something else, and uh, who knows where Mike McCarthy might go, end up, or whatever, how this. Maybe with us, the fans, that uh, have some uh, stock or whatever we have, say so in this company, in uh this uh, Green Bay Packer organization maybe uh, should be uh, kind of uh, in on this whole thing too, because maybe it's time for this whole thing that uh, we've been uh, kind of, as you said, stagnant for this last decade. We've only won one Super Bowl in that, and maybe it's time for uh, a whole big uh, type of thing. Uh, like, like, have, like have a like a like. Thanks for calling, Tom. Like, have a nominating convention. God help us. Can, can you imagine that? Um, you know, Gru who's producing the show today and always. Can you imagine that? Like, yeah, get everybody, to, all the shareholders, get them together at Lambeau Field and let them vote on the next general manager. Boy, what, what, right? What could go wrong with that particular idea? Look, I mean, it's been a tough season for the Packers, but I think. 
if you want to try to find a silver lining, maybe the silver lining is, is this has forced people's hands. You know, we... We, as I was saying earlier, you've got a really great quarterback who I think you can argue some of the best years of his career might have been squandered. But at least now we, we understand that. And maybe, again, there will be this sense of urgency. If I was conducting the interviews, that would be the first thing I would say to the general manager. I'd say, look, I mean, this isn't necessarily a complete rebuild. You're not taking over the Cleveland Browns. I want to know what your plan is right away to get the Packers back to the Super Bowl next year, not two years from now, not five years from now, because the truth is, you know, Aaron Rodgers, players like that only come around, you know, once in a blue moon. And if you think that just by waiting five years, you're going to automatically be able to replace him. I think you've got another think coming. All right. When we come back, big story number two. How much more of this crap are we going to put up with? Stick around. 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two. How much more of this are we going to tolerate? A community gets what it deserves, and it is what it is willing to accept. All right, we had the cold snap. seems like it's been going on forever, but it's probably only been about 10 days or or so. Um, Very, very bitter cold during the day. And what a lot of people do is they like to go out and they like to warm up their cars. Never used to be an issue. Now, I understand nowadays, like my car got the fancy new stuff on there, and I can go out and I can start it, and then it's I've got the keys, it's locked, so even though it's it's running, you know, it it's safe to do that. So I, you can do that. A lot of people don't have that. So the police department is saying, look, here, here's what's going on. You need to lock your vehicle at all times. You need to never leave your vehicle running while it's unattended. Don't leave your keys in the ignition. Remove all valuables from your vehicle. Be aware of your surroundings. Part of that is because in the last week or so, since the temperatures got cold, There have been over 120 reports of stolen cars in Milwaukee, 120 plus cars stolen. And what is happening, the only way that you get that many cars stolen is that you have roving gangs of people who are driving around the city looking for cars that might be unattended and running for them to steal. I mean, you have this incredible example of the Newlyweds Journal Sentinel reporting this. That these people, they end up getting married on New Year's Eve at Lakefront Brewery. What they do, then do is they go to the brew house in and suites on North 10th Street. That's the one I think that's up by, by Pabst. And they're packing up their car in front of the hotel yesterday morning when somebody steals their car full of wedding gifts. So, I mean, you had to have somebody watching that precise moment when the people came out, they've got their car, one's going back and forth, they're loading things, bringing stuff from the lobby to put it into their cars, and in in that split second or that split minute or two, somebody steals their car complete with all the gifts. Now, this is, of course, one of, like I say, more than 120 cars stolen in the last you know, week or so, once it is turned cold. The predators are out there looking to take advantage of people. Now, 
I, first of all, I get what the cops are saying. I, I get the idea that apparently nowadays it is so unsafe on the mean streets of Tom Barrett's Milwaukee that you can't leave a car to warm up. You can't leave it running when it's unlocked. You can't leave anything decent in the car because crime is so out of control that it will be stolen. So I, I get that, and I don't fault the police for giving that advice. Here's where I fault the police and the politicians and the courts and everything else. How did we get to this point? You know, you get the type of community that you are willing to tolerate. And I guarantee you that there are a lot of communities in this area that would not tolerate that. I'm willing to bet that there's a lot of suburban communities where if you said 120 cars stolen or even a fraction of that, there would be people, if this were going on, there would be people storming City Hall, Village Hall, whatever, you know, with the, the forks, with the, with the pitchforks and, you know, the, the fire saying, you know, what is going on here? We demand this to be stopped. But in Milwaukee, it is allowed to continue and it is allowed to flourish. When are we going to say enough is enough? And when is it that we are going to start holding the people that are responsible for making the community safe accountable? When are we going to start saying, okay, if it's juveniles that are committing these offenses, let's treat this like a big deal. Let's wave them into adult court. Let's send them to prison. If it's adults that are doing this, yeah, let's, when are we going to say this is a big deal? Let's send them to prison. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have we finally, finally, finally reached the point at long last where we say enough is enough? And are we going to start holding people accountable? Or is this just going to be the new normal? Don't leave your car unattended because it's going to be gone. We discuss next. 414-799-1620. And if you have been or know someone who has been a victim of this, I would love to talk to you. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, with single-digit temperatures and wind chills below zero. Now is the perfect time to start talking about Summerfest. Journal Sentinel music critic Piet Levy shares his 2018 headliner predictions with Gene Miller. Tune in 6.50 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, it gets cold, and this happens every year, except it's getting worse and worse. It gets cold. 120 cars, over 120 cars, get stolen in a week period. Okay, the most recent one, or at least the most recent ones getting reported, yesterday morning, newlyweds, spending the night. They get married on New Year's Eve at Lakefront Brewery. They spend the night at the brew houses. I think that's the place up by Pabst. They're loading up their car, okay, outside the hotel, and in the space of however long it takes them to go into the lobby to get some packages and come out, their car is stolen. I mean, I will tell you something. The crime... Crime is so bad in the city of Milwaukee when it comes to car thefts that, you know, you turn your back and the thing is gone. But the problem is we tolerate this. We tolerate this. With juveniles in the the DA's office will not, as a matter of policy, waive juvenile criminals into adult court for car theft as a general rule. So they're in the juvenile court system where their wrists are slapped by the juvenile court judges. And then even if you get people that are charged with car theft, they're not going to be held accountable. How long are we going to put up with this? Steve on the south side. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I don't know how long we're going to put up with this, but part of the problem is the judges in Milwaukee County, now it's a county, not just the city, but the county judges seem to run for re-election each time unopposed. Yep. It doesn't mean 
that they're good judges or bad judges. It's not like anything. Oh, they're such a great judge. Right. No one should take them on. No, there are a lot of them are just horrible judges. They're soft on crime, but it's the good old boys network. You just don't challenge me and just let me. Once I get the job, I'll sit around in this position until I want to retire on my own. Then I'll. Right. You know, and a lot of good people won't even take the jobs. I mean, a, a lot of good lawyers just don't want to do that. So, right, you have the same people that are there over and over again. They they want to be liked by the defense attorneys. You know, they don't want to have people substitute against them. And let's face it, there is a certain segment of the community, Steve, that doesn't want to see people be tough on crime. They don't want to see judges locking up people. Oh, my goodness, because then you're locking up too many of this type of person or that type of person. All I see is people who are stealing other people's cars, and you're right. Why is it so hard to hold those people accountable when they commit crimes? Well, part of it, Jeff, I think it's because we are afraid to let race be a factor here. And they talk about mass incarceration. What they really mean is you have a disproportionate amount of black people getting caught on these crimes. And typically nothing happens to them unless, they do something with the car. Right, you run through a they, red light and you hit and kill somebody. somebody. And they yep. injure somebody, and now they're held as a felony into adult court. Right, now thanks for, no, right. See, and I, and I don't care, black, brown, green, white, orange, doesn't matter to me. I, I Whoever, it, but the, the problem is, and, you know, we have seen some high-profile situations race, recently where it's been white kids that are stealing cars, too. I don't care, again, what the race of the criminal is. I think that this is, again, an indication of how overdue it is to have major reform, first of all, in the juvenile justice system. I have been arguing for the longest time this idea that we protect these kid criminals is ridiculous. I think when people are arrested and charged with crimes, juvenile or adult, it should be made public. Certainly, if they are convicted, their names should be made public. Why we protect... Juveniles who are out there committing offenses is absolutely, totally beyond me. We get what we put up with. And right now we are putting up with an epidemic of crime. We're back with more in a minute. It's 1240. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks battle the Indiana Pacers for the first time all season. And it comes up tomorrow evening at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause hit the air with Buckshot, 6.40 tomorrow night here on WTMJ. Big story number three, some aldermen and the mayor are unhappy with the Red Cross. What planet are they living in? All right, a couple, about a week or so ago when I was on vacation, the Red Cross announced that it was going to change its policy with regard to sending out volunteers on site um, for, you know, house fires. You know, what they would typically do is there's a house fire, the Red Cross would send volunteers out to, to the scene to provide assistance. Red Cross said that what we're going to do is that we are going to, in an effort to try to be more efficient, we're going to cut back the use of on-site volunteers, and we're identifying 10 Milwaukee zip codes where we're not going to send volunteers out on the scene. What we're going to do is we're going to provide the first responders with information. They can forward it to the appropriate people, and then they can contact us. Um, the mayor, upset about that. A number of aldermen, again, the usual suspects, upset about that as well. Um, just absolutely outraged. A slap in the face 
Um, here's the, let's see, um, the Ashante Hamilton, the guy who wants to be the mayor, says, it seems like it's the wrong time to do this. The affected areas have large African-American and Latino populations. It is unfathomable, says Alderman Khalif Rainey. The optics are not good. Why do you want, what do you want us to draw from this Red Cross? It's a slap in the face of the people that live in these areas. Now, the Red Cross says they're actually, they they don't send people on site into certain rural areas as well. And they say they are going to start to try to expand this. But let's be honest here. And, And right before I went on vacation, you had this huge flap over aldermen who were upset with a contractor doing city work whose employees showed up with guns. You know, and, and they were just outraged that these contractors would come in and they would carry guns. And I thought it was unfortunate that these aldermen were more concerned with the optics of the employees feeling they needed to bring guns onto the work site because they were victims of robberies and their trucks were being robbed and their tools were being stolen. They were more concerned with the optics of people carrying guns than they were with the reason why the people felt the need to carry guns. You know, and we talked about that. To me, let's cut through all this. That This is the same sort of thing. I am told by people that part of the Red Cross's concern is that they have issues and concerns about sending volunteers into some of these high-crime areas. And they are concerned about putting their volunteers at risk. They're also concerned with efficiencies and things like that. But it's tough to ask volunteers to go into high crime areas. Regardless of the optics of this, isn't the real story the fact that, again, you have a crime problem, that you have politicians who are refusing to address Shouldn't the concern be, look, and I don't care whether it's contractors that feel the need to carry guns or volunteers that are reluctant to come into areas because of the out-of-control crime levels. Shouldn't we be more concerned with trying to make them safe neighborhoods than we are with, gee, how is it going to look if you've got, for example, Red Cross volunteers that are reluctant to come into these areas because of crime. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent that crime is a concern and is part of the thing that is driving this policy, and I think that there are other parts as well. I mean, they're trying to figure out more efficient uses of resources, and there are rural areas where I don't think they have the manpower to directly send people in. But but is this unrealistic? Why are we so concerned with optics? Why aren't we concerned with the reality? And if the reality is that there are certain neighborhoods, zip codes, areas where it is frankly unsafe for Red Cross volunteers to go, why are we more concerned with trying to bash the Red Cross than we are with trying to make those areas safe? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm so sick of hearing these conversations about, well, the, the optics don't look good. And, and what is this saying? And what does this say about the Red Cross? Well, to the extent it is a concern, and to the extent that this is driven in any way, shape, or form by a concern with crime, I mean, it seemed, to me, this is... 
This is just what is inevitable. This is, you know, a, a charitable organization, for example, who is concerned with the safety of their employees to the extent that this is a factor. And I'm being told, at least off the record, that it is. So why do we fault the Red Cross for being concerned and trying to come up with other ways that they can provide services to a community without exposing their workers to danger? Let's start with Dan in Sussex. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, first time I've called you, and uh, but this is something that's really become more and more of a concern. I, I live in Sussex. I do. I work uh, on the North Shore, and I used to go down Silver Spring to and from. Sometimes leaving work uh, at eight o'clock, eight thirty, and uh, there was so much uh, police activity back and forth, and uh, that uh, I realized that going up and down. Um, Good Hope Road was uh, a much safer route for me to take. You know, it was a little bit quicker, but actually it was more for the reason of safety that I made this. Now, I'm a guy, I'm 64 years old. I played basketball everywhere, even though people told me that I was crazy. I never had a problem, never had a concern, you know, had a lot of fun, you know, with sure. all colors and, and, and combinations of people, you know, all my life. And for the first time in my life, there are areas that I actively make certain that I avoid and and this is you know this is a city of Milwaukee this is something that I never thought would occur in this town right no and it, and it's just it, thanks for calling it, it's unfortunate but th- this is the reality how many stories do we have about you know people firing shots at police cars or at fire trucks or or at ambulances I mean this is part of what is going on and if I again if, if I'm an administrator for the Red Cross and I'm trying to say, okay, we've got a limited amount of volunteers. We want to provide services, but you know, we we have. It's a lot to ask. It's a big ask to say, all right, go out into a high crime area. And I understand that you've got some aldermen who don't like to hear this, but maybe maybe it would be better if some of these aldermen, instead of being worried again about the optics, oh, we think this looks bad or this sounds like redlining, maybe it would be better if some of the aldermen decided to try to become concerned about why it was that crime was so prevalent in the particular communities that were requiring, for example, contractors to feel that maybe they need to hire private security guards to keep people safe. I mean, you you can't have it both ways. Let's talk to Sandy in Milwaukee. Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. I am in one of the districts. I'm in the 53216. And my thoughts are, if you're going to make a policy like this, the Red Cross, then you make it for all areas, because those in the central city probably are less advantaged to get to the office or get to the police department to make a report that may be necessary. Those who are living in the outlying area maybe have it uh, the advantage of going and making those reports. So if they're going to make a policy like that, it should be for all areas. And if there ever is a time that there is protection around, you have more police and more firemen around there than you do at any other time. So I think the Red Cross needs to rethink their policy, too, of what they're doing, because they're going to have their hand out, and they want their contribution. Well, it won't be coming from me. Well, I guess at the same time then, so you would, under this, you would be happier then if they just stopped going to any any fire scenes in Milwaukee, for example. Yes, because they're basically redlining. Well, they are. 
Yeah. No, they yeah. are. No, I think I think that's that that's effectively what they're doing. But they're effectively doing that, and they're also effectively uh, making implications on our property values and everything. Well, but but there is a reality, Sandy. I mean, do you fault There's them? There's a reality for, as I live in this I, area, well, Jeff. You do not. Well, well, I understand. So doesn't that mean? If you are living in, if there are high crime areas, do do we just pretend that there aren't high crime, that there's not crime in these areas? No, but I think if they're going to make such a decision, it should be for all areas, not just certain areas. Because my area, there are nice people here. Sure. If we all... You know, in many of those areas. Sure, they're absolutely, and that's the, Sandy, thanks for saying, that's the unfortunate thing, that, that there's a lot of neighborhoods that are nice, there's a lot of people who are held captive by the criminal element, and that's why I keep waiting for people who live in areas like yours, Sandy, to say enough is enough. We're sick of this notion that we are held hostage by crime. We're sick of this idea that we can't leave our cars to warm up in our driveways because they're going to be stolen in 30 seconds. I mean, I, I understand, and I feel this frustration. I get it. Right. I, I will tell you, I think there's a lot of people who listen to us who said, yeah, we, we wouldn't put up with that in, in our communities. It is so frustrating then to me that there are so many people in Milwaukee who are willing to accept this. And I understand your frustration, Sandy, the idea that, hey, you know, our property values go down. Is it a form of redlining? Yeah, it strikes me that it probably is a form of redlining in a way. To me, that doesn't mean, and I don't use that in a sense that it's illegal, it means it in the sense of, you know, perhaps this shows that people need to come together and say we have had enough of crime. And rather than having aldermen and elected officials who are whining about the optics of it, why don't you start being concerned with doing what it takes to get the criminals off the streets and keep them off the streets? And then this issue doesn't pop up. And I think you're right. I mean, what's ultimately going to happen is the Salvation Army is going to – I'm sorry, the Red Cross. The Red Cross is going to end up – in order to avoid charges, uh, you know, this is racially biased or whatever, they're probably going to start, again, cutting back their services all across – Broad areas. They're going to say, okay, we're going to change our policies. But to the extent the policies are driven by a concern for crime, well, why don't we deal with the crime? Why, why instead of complaining about the fallout from the policies, you know, why don't we deal, you know, with the crime? Doesn't that end up making sense? Tom in Butler, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tom. How are we doing? Good. What do you think? Um, I got a little different perspective to your topic. I have friends that work for the uh, Milwaukee County Fire Department. City of Milwaukee Fire Department, yep, okay. And I hear stories from them that they have to leave one person back to guard the truck so they're not being a victim of stuff being stolen off the trucks. Yep. So once again, it falls back to when are we going to stop the crime that's happening yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, you have, look, and, and I don't know if that's the case or not, but I mean, I'm aware of situations where you've had reports of ambulances and responders, you know, who, who've been, you know, had, had shots fired at them for what, whatever sorts of reasons. Um, yeah, if the situation is that you can't leave the fire trucks unattended because people are going to steal stuff off it, th- these are all realities. And, and I guess, Policies, to the extent this is partially based on crime, 
policies like this are only necessary because there's the crime. Why, for the love of God, can't we address that? And instead of saying, oh, this makes the Red Cross look horrible, okay, why don't you address safety concerns? And I just wish some of these aldermen would be as concerned as they are with the realities of crime in their area and what that does to the decent tax-paying, law-abiding citizens of their community, be they white, black, brown, green, or orange, wouldn't it be nice if they were as concerned about the impact of crime on those citizens as they were about the impact, the optics of what responses to crime look like? Just saying. All right, uh, Packers uh, president, Mark Murphy, is going to be talking to the press in just a couple minutes. We're going to carry that back with more. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 111. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to bring you updates, um, but I think you get the general sense, Mark Murphy, saying it was kind of a semantics thing um, that he and Ted Thompson reached a, a joint agreement that uh, they would move in this different direction. I don't know. Um, I guess the bottom line is the, the result of this. He is categorically denying a report that surfaced saying that he was directed by the executive committee to fire Ted Thompson. He says, look, I, there's 45 people. I mean, I just, I, I'm the one that's hired to make those decisions. So you can take that for what it's uh, worth. I, I actually, I, I think that this is all going to be good. I actually think Mike McCarthy is a great coach and I, I, I expect that he will continue for the foreseeable future as the coach of the Packers. Um, I think it's good that he's got authority to go out and hire a defensive coordinator. And we move from here. All right. Let us re-gear. Lots of stuff going on. Have you ever flown Southwest Airlines? Now, I, it just, I, I will say this. Interestingly enough, Southwest Airlines has become my airline of, of choice. Now, Southwest Airlines does things a little bit different. On Southwest Airlines, you do not have a reserved seat. What they do is they line you up. And you you board in a particular order and you get to pick whatever seat it is that that you want. And it's kind of a first come, first serve basis. Um, If you want to get on the plane earlier, you can pay an extra, I think it's a $15 early bird fee to get on the plane earlier. All right, so you pay that extra thing. Also, for some of their, um, you know, better flyers and stuff for the people that are part of the rewards thing, they, they might get some preferential thing. But but essentially, you, you go to Southwest and you get you're either in the A, the B, or the C seating thing. If you're in the A seating thing, which is I think the top sixty, you know, you're you're gonna you might not get your ideal choice of seat, but you know you're gonna pretty much get the, the seat that you want. All right, well, here's the problem that is developed on Southwest. What happens if you have a couple people traveling and you have one person that, say, paid for the early bird seating, and they're one of the first 15 people to get on the plane? So they get on the plane, but the person they're traveling with, maybe it's their spouse, their significant other, their friend or whatever, hasn't paid for the early bird seating. So they're they're not getting on the plane until like person number 100. So the person that gets on the plane early runs and finds, hey, that primo exit row seat. This is the great seat. It's got a little bit of extra room or whatever. I'm going to sit there, but I want to sit next to my friend. So what they do, they get on the plane early, and then they take all their stuff. 
and they put it in the other seat. They want to save the seat. So what happens is you have all these other people who come on between the person that got on early and the person that's getting on is like the hundredth person to board the plane, and they want somebody in between those two wants to sit there. So the question becomes, can you save seats? Now, this has become an ongoing problem. Um, I was looking at a story the other day about how th- this guy um, says, um, hey, I- I'm on the plane, and you know we want to sit in these, these two seats. I get on, and somebody is trying to save it. They've got their stuff in it. They've got their laptop, and I want to sit in that particular seat because I want to be in the aisle, and I want to sit across the, seat, the aisle from my, my wife, and she's right behind me. And the person says, well, no, I don't want to move my stuff because I'm saving it for my boyfriend who's going to get on the plane at the very last. And there becomes this on this ongoing dispute about whether or not you can save seats. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the question. Now, there are some places where I, I think saving seats is okay. Yesterday afternoon, went to a movie. Um, went to see The Darkest Hour, and I went, which is actually a very good movie. I, I highly recommend it. And we, the theater we went to, um, does not have reserved seating. You know, so it's, you know, it's kind of first come, first serve. And what what happens there is there were a couple people. I saw them. They came in and they saved a seat for like their spouse who was in the popcorn line or something. And you'd go up and you'd say, we were looking for two together. We kind of got there a little bit late. And it was like, okay, is that seat taken? Yeah, it is. My wife's out getting popcorn or whatever. Okay. And it it didn't bother me. All right. In the movie theater, it was like, okay, I, I understand that they're saving seats. She's out getting popcorn or he's out getting popcorn. Didn't bother me. Now, the Southwest Airlines situation is a little bit different because, like I say, there is a priority boarding, and in many cases, you know, people pay extra. So should you be able to save seats on an airline like Southwest? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I, I think this ends up happening more and more. Like I say, sometimes I don't have an issue with saving seats. I have been known to do that. If I'm meeting somebody at a bar, for example, um, and that person's going to be coming five minutes after me, I mean, I, I've kind of put my coat on that other bar stool, and I said, I've got somebody here, and I've, I've saved the seat. Is this different? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should you be able to save seats, especially in a context like this? Let's start with Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Real good, thank you. What do you think? Should you be able to save seats on a plane like this? Um, no. Um, the reason I, I say that, number one, I'm a fat guy. So I'm already used to... You are a person of size. That's how we say it, Danny. We don't say fat guy anymore. Okay, well, I, I prefer fitness challenge. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but I've had that problem, you know, where, okay, i got to squeeze into the tiny little seat. If I'm lucky, I get the seat next to me. Great. I don't have a problem with somebody sitting there, but... Saving the seat, that should only be allowed for the people that actually have the tag. So the person, the first person has the tag, fine. The second person doesn't have it, too bad, so sad. Right. So right there, they should make it, uh, they should make it a, a deal where, okay, if you have two people flying, if they want to sit together, they both have to have that, that yeah. extra deal. If they don't want to sit together, fine. 
Yeah, no, I, yeah no, th- thanks for the call, Danny. See, I, I actually uh, agree with you. I was actually arguing about this with a couple people over the weekend. They said, well, you know, what's the difference? Well, it, it, I, I think there is a difference between, like, open seating in, in a movie theater um, versus something like an airplane seat where priority – you are charged extra – or you can pay extra if you want the priority. And I guess I just don't think, I mean, if it, if I'm paying extra, for example, so that I can get on the plane and I can pick my seat, that's me paying extra to pick my seat. And if I want to, whether it's my wife or my brother or my friend or, or whatever, I think, you know, if we want to be able to pick our seats and sit close together, I think we should both have to pay for that. I don't think it's fair to the people between, in my example, the 15th person that gets on the plane and the 100th person. I don't think it's fair to all those people if simply because I'm number 15, I get to save not only my seat, but you know, the the seats for my brother while he's waiting to get on the plane. And I guess, I, I mean, for some reason, I don't have that issue with movie theaters because you're not paying extra for a particular seat. Dave and Walworth. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Good. Okay, seat saving. Should they let it go on on Southwest? Yes. Okay. I, I, I don't agree with the uh, – I took a trip this holiday – uh, for Christmas going out to, uh, San Diego from Milwaukee. And I seen that actually going on where they're putting stuff and then holding a seat for somebody else. I mean, I, I think it's fair. If you're gonna, if you're gonna hold a seat, that person should be paying the same amount. Yeah. I mean, and then you both get on together, not just, you know, the person's at the back of the line. It's kind of like going to the amusement park and somebody being up ahead of you. And then all of a sudden there's five other people that come jumping up there. Yeah, like that. Yeah, right. I'm I'm saving the spot for all the the line skippers. No, thank. I see. I'm. I guess I'm. I'm. I'm with you on that. And I mean, I'm. It, it's you know. And I see. You know, the other thing that I see that happens on, on Southwest all the time is that you have people, despite the fact that they say it's going to be a full flight, you have people who don't want anybody to sit next to them. So they come in, they plop down in say the aisle seat, and they put. All, I saw a guy do this when I was when I was coming back from San Diego a couple months ago, uh, after visiting my niece. Um, they, they they put all their crap in the middle seat with the idea that they're going to try to discourage somebody from sitting there. And, of course, you know, the flight attendants keep saying it's a full flight, every seat is taken, but that person just doesn't move it until the very end and then looks pained when somebody has to squeeze in there. 414-799-1620. I guess I was reading the story, and I'm thinking, all right, you want to be fair, but really? Um, let's talk to Dean in Sacramento. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how are you, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Sacramento, California, you're calling us from? I am. I was actually listening to the uh, Packers. Oh, great! <laughs> uh, press conference, and then it, and then it switched on over. So, yeah, Super. lifelong, uh, lifelong from Wisconsin, but living in California now. Absolutely. Well, it's thirteen degrees here. How warm is it in Sacramento? Do you really want me to tell you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, about sixty-two degrees. I got it. <laughs> okay. What do you think about this? The south, the seat saving thing. Okay, so here's the deal. I, I fly Southwest about a hundred times a year, so there's a little bit of a, little bit of a trick to, to saving seats, and I'm not going to give up all of my secrets. Um, but the deal is, is their only real premium seats are the exit row. Right. So I think those are the ones that are policed pretty closely, um, by the flight attendants. I'm a big guy, and, um, for people who need extra leg room, um, 
So, you know, people, I think, who get on early and save seats for their family members, all the other rows are the same. Um, but the reality is the exit rows are the ones that are premiums. Right. So, um, if you're trying to save a seat, don't make eye contact with people. A cough here or there when they're walking <laughs> by and trying to look at your seat sometimes right. Sometimes works. Um, but I will say, if you're trying to save that seat, don't sit in the aisle or the window. Sit in the middle seat. And uh, get busy doing something where you don't make eye contact. Right, where you hope they don't disturb you. Yeah, thanks for calling. I mean, th- those are all the things. But I guess I just think it's, I mean, when you say, I mean, I, I get the idea of the premium with the exit row. But at the same time, um, if you like to sit towards the front of the plane, and what happens a lot of times, say, when I travel with my brother, we're both over six feet tall, and we both try to sit in the aisles. You know, and so, and it's, you know, do we have to sit across the aisle from each other? No, we don't have to, but it's kind of nice. Now, see, I'm just... The seat saving, I, I think this is contrary to the Southwest business model. If they want to encourage people to, again, first come, first serve, you need to enforce this. Just saying. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, horrible story involving swatting. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ crew. Do you know what swatting is? You ever heard of the phrase? You do not. Okay. Swatting is, uh, it's, it's just, it's the... The, the a cruel extension of of a practical joke prank phone call. Swatting is where you call up a police department and you say something like, "I have just shot my father. I am holding my mother and my wife at gunpoint, um, and I might kill myself." And that you make a you make a fake nine one one call essentially, or you make the call and you say, hey, there's a hostage situation. I just heard gunfire from this particular house. Um, there, there's a guy I see. There's look a body down. And so what happens, the, the goal of, of the SWATter is to get the SWAT team to come out and to stake out the place. That I mean, you know, what sort of sick, pathetic jack wagon does something like this? But that's the goal of SWATting. And you have some sick, twisted people who get their jollies from doing that. Well, what happened last Thursday is a situation where somebody calls the Wichita Police Department and says exactly that. The call is, hey, um, I, they, they pretend to be the, the person. They make up the crime. They say, um, hey, um, I've just shot my father. That's exactly what happened. I've just shot somebody. I'm holding this person hostage. I'm going to kill myself and kill them. And the Wichita police, the SWAT team responds. All right, I'm going to tell you what happened, and then we're going to discuss this in just a moment. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, you can now listen to WTMJ on your Amazon device. From news and weather updates, the latest set of Lambo, your favorite show's podcast. Check out the Wagner Show podcast and much more. It's now available with the simple phrase, Alexa, open WTMJ. For more information and easy setup instructions, text the word Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620 or go online at WTMJ.com. Okay, I'm starting to tell the story right before the break. Swatting is this I, this. Prank call thing. You call a police department and you tell them you create an emergency situation with the idea that you're going to try to get the SWAT team, the hostage rescue team, whatever, to to show up. 
So last Thursday, the Wichita Police Department get this phone call from a guy. I'm so-and-so. I'm at this address. I've just shot my father. I'm holding my mother and my you know, brother or my child or whatever hostage. I am going to burn down the house. Okay, You make this phone call. The cops get the 911 call, and what do you do? Well, they mobilize. They send out the, the, the police. Well, all right, turns out that the house that they go to, all right, there, there's no hostage situation. It's a guy who's you know in the house. He's on his cell phone. What happens is he hears rustling outside because actually the SWAT team is is taking its position outside the house. He opens the front door and goes out onto the porch. At this point in time, it's a little bit unclear how this all goes down. But within like 45 or 60 seconds, a police officer shoots and kills the man. All right. Now he he's coming out, and the police are saying that you know they they were yelling at him. He he didn't have a gun. He had his like cell phone in his hand, and they couldn't tell. And of course, you've got all the police that are responding to the situation, and they think it's a, it's a hostage situation, and there's dead bodies in there. And he comes out, and they instruct him to lower his hands or raise his head, something like that. And, and he he doesn't comply immediately because he's probably trying to figure out what the you know what is going on here, and, and he ends up getting shot. Okay, so you have somebody who's dead. They catch the person who was responsible for making the phone call, and it's this 25-year-old loser out of Los Angeles who apparently has been convicted of doing this stuff before. This is the guy's thing. He makes these phone calls. He's also an online gamer, and uh, apparently this is somewhat big in the online game community where there are people who um there there are people who uh, you know get into disputes and they'll do this to each other they'll also you know set up live streaming of this type of stuff so in this particular situation apparently it was a, a guy in Los Angeles who has a history of doing this type of stuff um who was in a dispute with not even the guy that got shot over something going on on Call to du- Call of Duty, which is you know one of these online games that my nephew plays incessantly. Love you, Alex, but we got to get you off the game. But you know they, they play incessantly. So this guy, this twenty-five-year-old loser out of Los Angeles, does this, and what happens is you've got somebody who's not even involved in any of this ends up being ends up dead. All right, so they've now obviously there's there's an issue with the police response. And I I take no position on that. I mean, I don't know the circumstances other than to say that this is a highly volatile situation. I mean, you've got the hostage rescue team, you've got the SWAT teams responding. You know, when they get a 911 call, they assume it is legitimate. Okay, that, that is the fallback position. It is the default position. You get a 911 call saying, hey, there's a, a shooting in place. There's a hostage situation. You you assume that it is legitimate, and then you move from there. So I, I take no position as to whether the police, under the circumstances, were justified or, or not. I mean, I don't know if the guy failed to comply. Don't, don't know exactly what happened, but he's an innocent victim. There, there's no question about it. It wasn't a hostage situation. He didn't have a gun. He had a cell phone didn't end up know what knowing what was going on. So, you know, what th- was th- did the police have a basis under this situation, the circumstances to make what was a mistake, 
but nevertheless something was justifiable. I don't know. That will all come out in investigation, and I have no doubt that there's going to be lawsuits. But they've caught this 25-year-old jack wagon out of Los Angeles who, like I say, has done this before. His online statement is, don't blame me. I'm quoting now. I didn't get anyone killed because I didn't discharge a weapon, and being a SWAT member isn't my profession. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, right now the guy in Los Angeles has been taken into custody, and they're looking at charging him with you know making a false phone call or something like that. My question is this. Is this prank caller, is he and should he be held responsible for the death of this man? Now, he says, hey, I didn't shoot him. I didn't call. I didn't tell the SWAT people to to shoot him. You know, if they went out and they showed up and they shot him, well, okay, it's on them. It's not on me. Now, one of the problems right now is that the law might only allow them to prosecute the guy again for making the phony phone call. But I want to talk about big picture because this is starting to happen more and more. This is the latest thing, especially in the online gaming community. Here, let, let's have somebody swat it. Well, if you do something like this and you make that phone call and then there is a bad thing, in this case, an incredibly tragic thing that happens as a result of that phone call you made. Is this prank caller or should the prank caller be responsible for the death of that person? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you, and I, I'm interested to discuss this and find out what your reaction is. But when I hear this, this is more than just making a prank call. And just like... If you are the getaway car driver in a bank robbery and the bad guys go in to rob the bank and somebody's got a gun and they shoot the teller or they shoot the guard or they shoot a bystander, you as the bank robber or held as the getaway car driver are held responsible. I think, as far as I'm concerned, the same thing applies. And, And to the extent the law doesn't say it, the law should. You do something like this. You cause the, uh, again, law enforcement to go out under circumstances like this and a logical conclusion could be that somebody could get hurt. I think you are responsible for that. To me, this jack wagon gamer in Los Angeles is responsible for the murder of this man. And this idea that, well, I'm not a SWAT member and I didn't pull the trigger, yeah, he, he might just as well have. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 145. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 148. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I think that the L.A. Uh, swatter guy should be uh, charged with murder. He is as much of a part of the SWAT team. In fact, if he was on a firing squad, he'd be the guy with the live round and not the blank in his rifle. Well, I mean, he says, hey, I didn't pull the trigger. This was just a prank. If the, you know, if the Wichita, Kansas police went out and, and they ended up shooting him and it was an unjustified shooting, well, it's it's not my fault. They should have known this wasn't a hostage situation or they shouldn't have shot the guy. I made the prank phone call, but I'm not responsible for what happens after that. Uh, he wouldn't. They wouldn't have been there if he didn't make the call. I agree. I, I, no, th- thanks. I mean, I, I, I agree. 
this is the logical extension. When you set this stuff in motion, and see, here's part of the problem. The, the guy, th- this is the aggravating thing. He, he apparently did two years in jail for for doing this before, but the laws aren't very good about this. The laws don't really punish people for the, these consequences. You know, you, you treat him like he's a prank caller, and he's not a prank caller. He's somebody that, like you said, Mike, sets in motion the events which in this case lead to the death of somebody. And again, I don't I don't want to get into whether or not it was a justifiable shooting or not. That'll all be sorted out. I mean, I don't know what the guy did in response to the police, but it is the prank caller, and I use prank in quotation marks, that set this in motion. And, I mean, I, I feel sorry for the police. The police have to treat this. You get a call saying, it's a 911 call. I've just shot my father. I'm going to burn the house down. I'm holding my mother hostage or whatever. Well, you you have to treat that like it's it's real. Barbara in Brookfield. Barbara, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Um, hi. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Um, I think he should be held accountable for what he did because uh, I was in the same situation. My husband was uh, laying a kitchen floor, and the police bust in because the guys across the street called and made a prank call and lied that there was a drug house. And they bust in, and they asked him right away, guns pointing at him, well, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying the kitchen yeah. floor. And, um, he, you know, he could have been shot sure. because someone's making a call like that. And I, you know, I walked in, and, and there was police everywhere. And it just kind of, I freaked out. I said, what's going on? And they said, we got a phone call saying something about drugs in the area. And I knew right away it was the guys across the street because we're in an interracial relationship. My husband's white. He's a school teacher. I'm a nurse. And um, these guys just hated that I was dating him. And we've been together for 30-some years. So, yes, he should be held accountable because my husband could have got shot. Barb, I'm just curious. Whatever happened to the guys that made the phone call? Anything? Nothing happened. Nothing yeah. happened. And the guys just call me out of my name all the time. Sure. You know, because I'm dating him, sure. and we ended up getting married, and we've been married 30-some years. And I just think somebody that does something like that, they need to be uh, held accountable for their right. for their uh, pranks that they're playing on people. Right, because uh, it's not a prank. It's not like you're calling up the tobacco store and asking if they have Prince Albert in a can. Let him out. This is... The, the goal is to try to do exactly what happened in your case or what happened in Wichita. The, 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 the goal is to try to get the police to respond, get the, you know, the hostage rescue teams out there, and it's a dangerous situation. Yeah, you're, you're, bad stuff could have happened. No, thank, thanks for the call. No, and, and it's, it's, again, it's more than just, gee, I, you're making the prank call and you're, you know, pretending to be somebody from a radio station giving away a trip. That, that's, that's that's a crime, and it should be. But this is a different level of crime. We're now joined by uh, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge David Borowski. Judge, good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Happy New Year. Same to you, sir. Uh, I would agree with your last callers and with your basic premise. He should absolutely be held liable. The problem is, as you know, with your years in law enforcement and my years on the bench, there's probably no statute or any law in Wichita or anywhere right. for that matter that, that appropriately deals with this situation uh it's as you said it's not a prank call it's just like auto theft is not carjacking right. um so it's a situation where should he be held liable yes because it, it's foreseeable i think it's reckless mm-hmm. uh, very likely that you know or should know that when you do this there's a likely or at least possible very right. very bad dangerous outcome 
but the law will have to change, unfortunately, for this kind of sick, twisted behavior. Yeah, Judge, I think you're right. I think this is, and this is one of the reasons I bring this up. This is another one of these examples where I think technology is moving faster than, than the law has a chance to react to these type of things. And you know, I, I don't think anybody ever anticipated that you'd have these online gamers that get into these disputes and then that somebody decides, hey, it's going to be fun to see if we can, you know, halfway across the country get a hostage rescue situation. And we, we didn't think of these things before, but maybe Congress needs to. Well, it'll need to be developed at a state-by-state level, most likely, because, as you said, I mean, there are crimes that go on now on the Internet that – were impossible or virtually impossible 20, 25, 30 years ago, and the laws developed to uh, address those situations. It's unfortunate, tragic, that there probably is not going to be something that adequately deals with it right now for this particular perpetrator. No, th- thanks for the call. That's that's uh, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge uh, Dave Borowski. Yeah, and and that that's it. Like I say, this guy, it, tw- the, the character in, in Los Angeles, 25 years old, he's already served time for doing this type of stuff, but again, it, it's the type of penalty you get for making the prank call, not getting somebody killed. And let's face it, he got somebody killed. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in 10 minutes, Walmart lets you buy your way out of trouble. David Clark in a battle with Twitter. And you stink, I'm going to sue. That's all coming up in the next hour of the program. It's 13 degrees, okay, Um, which is, I I don't know. It seems to me that this might be, I don't know if it got to 13 yesterday or the day before. All I know is for the last, you know, week or 10 days, it's been cold as you know what. I mean, it's New Year's Eve. I ran into, uh, I, I ran into some friends of mine. They had some relatives in from Mississippi. These people looked like, I mean, it was like, why explain to us why we are here on New Year's Eve when it's like minus eight degrees? I said, you going back to Mississippi soon tomorrow. It's a, so, I mean, it was just it was like this whole other world. And it's cold in Mississippi, but cold in Mississippi is 45, not, you know, eight degrees below zero. So I was wondering, again, what was going to happen with this polar bear plunge? Belinda Babinick, did, were you working yesterday? No. no. OK, no. You, but, you know, this is this thing every year. You, you get people on New Year's Day, which right. go down to the lakefront and decide that they are going to jump into the lake. Craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, especially when it's like five degrees below. Cra- yes, crazy in general, but especially when it's five degrees below. Now, in Kenosha and in Port Washington, they canceled it. The cops just said, we're not going to let you do this. In Milwaukee, they let the people do it. Now, I understand, you know, you, you can't fix stupid. So I, I get that. But, you know, here's what happened. You know, you had, you had people that let kids go down there. Story in the paper today, uh, you, you got this 11-year-old kid. Who lets an 11-year-old kid jump into icy water? I mean, where seriously, where are the Child Protective Services people? And, and here's the bigger question. The fire department... They had to be down there. The fire department had paramedic unit, units at Bradford Beach. Um, they had um, rescue divers standing in the water in case something happened. And all the while, it is the taxpayers that are paying for this. Now, I don't mean to be the Grinch that stole the polar bear plunge. I, I really don't. <laughs> but seriously, what kind of idiot? You know, sometimes we have to protect Stupid people, and I'm sorry, if you jumped into Lake Michigan yesterday, you are a stupid person. I mean, or at least 
Maybe you're a very bright person who did a really stupid thing. Maybe that's the better way to say it. But jumping into Lake Michigan yesterday was a stupid thing to do. And if you happen to allow your 11-year-old child to do that, you are an especially stupid person to allow that. But there's all these resources. For the life of me, I do not understand why Chris Abley or Tom Barrett, or whoever, just didn't say, we're going to do what they did in Port Washington, and we're going to do what they did in Kenosha. We're not letting people jump into the lake when it's 5 degrees below zero with a wind chill of 20 degrees below zero, and we're not going to spend taxpayer dollars now having to have, I don't know, fire department officials and rescue divers there. Just saying. 159, this is Jeff Wagner. 208, this is Jeff Wagner. I'm getting a number of emails. Drew, who's producing the show today. People feel my pain in trying to deal with Journal Sentinel circulation. I told this story at the start of the show. I, I'm, I'm in the process of moving. And in general, businesses make it easy to do that. I mean, I've had to, I'm, change, I'm in the process of changing my address. And, and, and whether it's uh, dealing with We Energies or dealing with the cable company or just, you know, dealing with, I don't know, places that, whether it's life insurance or whether it's your investments or whatever, most places you can just go online. And it's simple. You kind of log into your account, and then, you know, you say, okay, I'm moving from this address to that address, and it's all taken care of. And even in the newspaper industry, like I get the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times delivered, no problem. Go onto their website, you log in, you know, you put in your new address, and the papers start getting delivered there. And it's been a, a general – I mean, it's kind of a pain in the butt because you have to think of all the different stuff. But I, I've had no problems doing any of this except dealing with the Journal Sentinel. And and I was telling the story at the start of, of the show. It, it's – and again, this isn't a comment on the newspaper quality or the reporters. Not, it, it's just this is the worst customer service I think I have ever seen, and that says something. All I am trying to do is change the address. And and so you cannot do that online, which is amazing to me in 2018. You can't do it online. You can't go – I can log on to my account, but I can't just change the address. I'm not even trying to cancel the thing. I just want to have it go from my old house to my new house. Um, so you have to call a number. Well, half the time the number is busy. When the number is answered, they tell you the whole time is – well, this morning it was somewhere between an hour and a half and two and a half hours. I waited an hour and a half. Nobody had picked it up. Um, they say, well, you know, we, we can call you back when your turn comes up, but that doesn't help because who knows where you're going to be three hours later. And, and all this just to change the uh, address. Here's an email from Jan. Jeff, I feel your pain about trying to get through to Journal Sentinel circulation. I've been trying to reach them for three weeks to change my subscription from seven days a week to Wednesday, Sunday only. I can no longer get to my online account, as the recorded message suggests. I've never gotten a real person, and the callback wait times have ranged from two to four hours. I've actually called the newsroom where a real live person answered the phone and was aware of my problems. She and her colleagues said they've had many similar calls, and they were willing to pass on my info to someone that they've had success getting through to. But I'm skeptical. Maybe it's worth a trial. Um, Maybe I surmise the next battle will be to straighten out the billing. I'm a fighter, and I'll stick to my guns. Good luck with your simple concern. It is. It's kind of like, I, you know, if I'm not even trying to cancel the service right now. But it's like, how hard could this possibly be? Who would have thought that in the entire process of of moving, the most difficult thing would be simply trying to get your newspaper, your local, by the way, local newspaper, no problem with the New York Times, no problem with the Washington, uh, with the Wall Street Journal. Who would have thought that the most difficult thing of all this would be getting the local newspaper delivered to your new address? Go figure. 
All right, a lot of stuff coming up in this hour. Let's get started. Shoplifting is a huge problem for businesses and for malls and for communities. Matter of fact, there are some uh, malls slash stores in this area um, that I have been told that, for example, they discourage the merchants from even calling the police about shoplifters because um, they, they don't want the word to get out that there's lots of shoplifting going on, and therefore if the word gets out that there's lots of shoplifting going on, the fear is that um, people will you know, stop coming because they'll feel that it's unsafe. So they, they just kind of sweep shoplifting under the rug. Up until recently, Walmart has apparently had a different way of dealing with shoplifters. Um, What Walmart has been doing, um, going back to about 2010, is if they would catch somebody who was shoplifting, they would pull them aside and they would say, okay, you have two choices. We will either call the police and report you, or... You can enter an alternative program that we have. Here's the way the deal works. You will have to pay $400 up front. We want you to pay $400. In addition, we want you to participate in this program that we have designed to discourage shoplifting. So you pay 400 bucks and you complete this education program, and everything is going to be forgiven. But the key thing that Walmart wanted was the 400 bucks. But they say, we're not going to call the cops. You know, you can just essentially walk away or, you know, walk next door to the store next door and steal from them, and nobody's going to know about it. All right, well, word of this got out a couple weeks ago, and a number of courts in particular started objecting to it. They were saying, hey, this is kind of extortion. It's essentially saying you have somebody that you believe has committed a crime. Maybe you'd be able to prove it or not, and you're telling them you give us four or $500, and we're going to let you essentially walk away. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. This isn't a situation where they say, okay, we're going to give you another chance. It's a situation where they say, you pay 400 bucks up front to quote unquote, cover the cost of this program and all will be forgiven. All right. Is this a reasonable response by the business or is this just extortion? Uh, Now, nobody forces the people to participate in the program. So, I mean, you could always say, hey, I I don't think this is right. I'm not going to participate. You know, you know, go jump in the lake, you know, when it's five degrees below zero, you know, go jump in the lake. You want to call the cops that that's fine. But most people don't. They say about 90 percent of the people they catch come up with the four hundred dollars. They pay the four hundred dollars and then. Nobody knows that they were guilty of shoplifting. There's nothing on their record. So if they go and they steal something from somewhere else, well, you're you're never going to know that they were stealing stuff from Walmart. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But this is one where I'd be curious as to how you respond. Is this 
a reasonable response by the retailer, which is essentially, you know, making money off of this. I mean, they, they're saying you can buy your way out of problems by giving us money, and then we're going to look the other way on what you did. All right. Should retailers be allowed to do this, or is this, say, extortion? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. Up until very recently, actually, when this got exposed, um, Walmarts across the country had a policy with regard to shoplifters. When they caught somebody that they thought was guilty of shoplifting, they would take them aside and say, you have two ways to go. We can call the cops, or if you want this all to go away, here's what you do. Pay us 400 to $500. Pay it up front. Pay it right now and participate in one of our anti-shoplifting programs, and then we'll forget about it. So essentially what they were saying is give us a bunch of money and we won't turn you into the cops. 414-799-1620. I have real real problems with this. Let's start with Brian and Appleton. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, good morning. Uh, see, I, I agree with you. I have a real issue with this because effectively what's happening is these individuals are going to go to the store next door after they're done at Walmart, steal some product from there to pay off Walmart. I mean, effectively, Walmart is stealing from the community by doing this, let alone the fact that it is extortion. Well, you know, p- potentially. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you know, you're exactly right. Okay, so you get caught at the Walmart store, and instead of them turning this over to the police and letting the judicial system handle this and maybe identify somebody who's a chronic shoplifter, all you're saying is, here, you pay your way out of jail. We don't care where you get the dough. And then sending somebody back out on the street to steal from some other store. That's, I mean, it seems to me that's what Walmart is saying. We're going to get our money, and then, you know, whatever you do in the rest of the community, well, that's somebody else's problem. I totally agree. I think it's clear cut. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the call. I mean, now, again, nobody, nobody from the, the, the issue with extortion, and that's the phrase that some judges are using, is, is nobody says you have to sign up for the program. But the, the effect of this is, you know, you have people, oh, I don't want to have to deal, I don't want to have to deal with the police. Maybe you even catch people who aren't guilty of shoplifting, but for whatever reason, look, they, they don't want the cops being called. You know, they don't want to have to deal with this. I mean, if somebody has committed a crime, I think a responsible business has an obligation to notify the authorities and let the authorities, you know, let the authorities decide what they're going to do with this as opposed to, hey, give us 400 bucks. 414-799-1620. Will in Green Bay. Will, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I, uh, I used to catch shoplifters. I worked my way through uh, school catching them four years in Texas. Okay. And I and I always felt bad because at that time Walmart was totally different. They would prosecute everybody, no right. matter how much it was. So I think they tried to find an in between here because I always felt bad when I caught the sixteen year old, whoever, seventeen year old, knowing what shoplifting can do to somebody's future. So and the parents would always come to us and say, Hey, is there anything that we could do? And we couldn't do anything. Right. We, to, we drew a, a strong line all the way across. So I, I think I think they tried to do something good and they just missed um, because other you know other businesses 
they didn't always report them. They would just say, hey, don't come back or yeah. sign a trespass warning. or There's other things you can do. Right. So I think that's what they were trying to do. Um, I for four hundred dollars, and I hadn't heard of this before, right. you know, today. And I think that's just a myth. Yeah. See, and again, I mean, I, I'm not saying. Look, if a store, for whatever reason, decides that they're they're not going to prosecute shoplifters, that they're not going to pursue it. Oh, okay. I, now I happen to think that that's bad public policy. But like I started this off, I know or at least I am told by some reliable sources, that there are places in the Milwaukee area that are very concerned, they don't want the word to get out, that there's lots of shoplifting going on, so they they discourage the merchants from calling the authorities and reporting the shoplifting. Okay, that's a business decision that they end up making. You know, don't come back to the store. Okay, I, I happen to think that that is an irresponsible business decision because all that does is it sends the the shoplifters out into the community to steal from somebody else. All right, but but that's that's at least the business decision that they are making. In this particular case, Walmart is saying we're going to hold you accountable, but but you know, in exchange for but but we want money up front, you know, so you can either buy your way out of this responsibility by giving us money and then we're going to pretend it didn't happen. And that's what I think becomes socially irresponsible. Mike in West Allis. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How's it going? Good. What do you think about all this? Well, I, as I told your producer, um, up until about a year ago, I worked for a local hardware chain, we'll say rhymes with Renards. Okay, Menards, um, sure, okay. And their policy was, uh, if it was under a certain amount, I think it was $20, that their, it was called civil restitution, was a $200 fine, basically, and then wipe the sleep clean and, and not call the cops. Um, so, you know, is it extortion? I, I would be impressed if anyone thought it was an extortion, because it clearly is. Yeah. But... You know, who are we extorting? We're, extort- we're extorting people that are doing wrong in our community. So I'm, I'll sleep just fine at night if, if they're paying that fine. But back to what you were saying about being irresponsible in the community, I, I, I agree with you, but what would the difference be if they chose not to or, or do the civil restitution versus just not pursuing it at all? To me, it's, you're accomplishing the same thing. You're letting right. bad or wrong people you know, free in the community. So yeah, no, I mean, no, no, Mike, thank, and I, I and I get it, that's it, but I guess to me, the dip, see, I think the responsible thing is you catch, now look, I, I understand, you, you catch a kid, you catch, you know, a, a 12-year-old who is, like, shoplifting, you know, a candy bar or, or some soda or something like that, I think that you should always have that discretion to simply say, okay, don't, you're, we're, we're not going to refer you, just don't come back here again, all right, or, or call the kid's parents or whatever. I don't have a problem with that, but what I where I do have a problem is buying your way out of it by saying, "Okay, you you give us money that is disproportionate to what the crime is, and and then we're going to look the other way on this." Now, I mean, I understand. Is it is it any more socially irresponsible to not call the police um, for a, a, to just look the other way? versus taking the money for looking the other way. I understand the effect is the same, but that this idea of civil restitution, well, okay, civil restitution means, as a general rule, that you've gone through the court system and that there's been some process and it's been adjudged as to what is fair, as opposed to, gee, can we make some money off of this? Again, I don't have any sympathy for the shoplifters. I, I could really care less about that, you know, if you get caught stealing. But my concern is that if if you can just buy your way out, 
all that means is that you're going to go to somebody's the store next door and steal and then go to the store next door and steal um, and continue doing that, whereas I think a responsible corporate citizen steps up and says, okay, you know, we're going to this we're going to say enough is enough. Now, I, I understand, especially in places like Milwaukee, you send the matter over for shoplifting and nothing's probably going to happen anyways, but Walmart is doing this to make money, and that's where I think they're wrong. They have, I am told, since this got was made public a week or two ago, they have temporarily suspended, quote-unquote, this program. I think that's a good thing. It is 226 when we come back. Milwaukee County, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, just can't stay out of the news. I'll tell you about him and Twitter in just a minute. It's 226. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of the things about moving is that I, I am making a conscious effort to try to declutter my life. It's, I, as I, I've told the story before, I'm on my fifth dumpster. And I, this, this, it, this is going to be it. It's going to be five. There's not going to be any more. But, you know, moving out of a house I've lived in for 30 years, it's just amazing the stuff that you accumulate. And so I've just, I've been, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff went to charity. A lot of stuff went to friends. And stuff went into the, the dumpster. It's, it's all those things. But I've, I'm learning my lesson, and it's kind of like I'm trying to approach this to, uh, with other aspects of my life. So actually, I came in today, and I've been off for a couple weeks, and I'm, I'm trying. One of my New Year's resolutions is declutter. And so I was going through some of my drawers at my desk here at work, and you know I found just all, all the, this, this old dress books and stuff and from, from years ago, and I'm thinking, why am I keeping all this stuff? So I'm, I'm going through stuff, and I'm throwing things out. John McCurry is just watching. He's next to me. John is just like, what's all this noise? And I'm, I'm just throwing stuff out. Gene Miller's on the other side of the office going, what's this going on? I said, well, I'm just I, I'm cleaning stuff out. In the process of doing that, Gru, who's producing the show, I came across a picture from a simpler time. Back before Scott Walker was governor, there used to be this thing called Operation Honor, which was this um, thing that the Milwaukee County did, which was around the 4th of July every weekend, every year to honor veterans and all. And I used to participate in that. I'd be like one of the, the MCs. This was actually this Operation Honor. It's what started all the John Doe investigations because the Walker administration was county executive, learned that there came to believe that there was somebody that was stealing money from this. And so they went to John Chisholm and they said, hey, investigate this. Next thing you know, you've got this out of control investigation into, you know, Republicans all across the state. It shows how out of control the whole thing ended up getting. But this was a simpler time. I found a picture from one of these Operation Honor events, and I was on the stage, and there were a number of, at the time, you know, local presidents of different communities that were out there, and I was standing next to a smiling, pre-Donald Trump, David Clark, pre-goatee, pre-cowboy hat. It was, it was David Clark back in the day, and I, I don't remember, I don't know if this picture was from... 2007 or 2000. I don't know exactly when it was, but it was one of the original ones. And David Clark was kind of smiling at me, and I was sort of, you know, I was speaking, and all of us, it was just kind of this interesting thing. It was a, a simpler time. It was before former Sheriff Clark became complicated. And the latest story demonstrates how complicated the former sheriff has become. You will recall, now let me kind of review the bidding. Follow me through this. You will recall last January, while Sheriff Clark was still Sheriff Clark, you know, he's on th- this plane coming back from wherever, 
and he gets into sort of an altercation with a guy on the plane who, you know, he says gave him a look or something like that. And so what ends up happening is as the sheriff is getting off the plane, sheriff deputies come and catch the guy who had the little altercation with Clark and jack him up, essentially. You know, they ask him questions, detain him briefly. The guy goes public with this story and, uh, you know, goes to the media and starts talking about this. Ultimately, um, he files apparently a series of complaints, including a, a complaint with the local FBI um, about whether or not his civil rights have been violated by David Clark. As it turns out, and this is just me putting together stuff, as it turns out, ultimately, the U.S. Attorney's Office, where I used to work, um, says, okay, there's no evidence of, of any sort of criminal activity or at least any behavior on the part of the sheriff, which would lead to criminal charges. Matter of fact, I'm looking at a letter that was written May 3rd of last year to the attorney for for the guy. I'm writing to him, and it comes under the signature of an assistant U.S. attorney, Mel Johnson. I am writing to inform you that this office has decided not to criminally prosecute any civil rights offenses stemming from the interaction between your client and Sheriff David Clark and the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department on January 15th of 2017. Our decision is not meant to affirm the wisdom or propriety of what occurred. It reflects only our belief that it would be difficult or impossible to prove a violation of the only federal statute likely available beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, so that they say, okay, no basis for criminal charges. You know, we don't think a crime has been committed. All right, so you would have thought that that ended the matter, at least from a federal perspective. Well, what happened is last week a number of news outlets reported that the FBI – in conjunction with investigating this claim, had apparently uh, sought a search warrant looking at various, looking at David Clark's email account as part of, you know, this investigation that led to, you know, nothing. All right. So the report, the search warrant was sealed. What happens a lot of times is if you're getting a search warrant, if you're a law enforcement officer, you don't want the target to necessarily know that they're being looked into. So, you know, what you do is you ask when the, you get the information sought in the search warrant, you ask to have it it's sealed, which means it is not made public. Ultimately, everything ends up getting unsealed um, because the public has a right to know. So what apparently happened last week or a week and a half ago, is that this search warrant affidavit that was used to look at emails of the sheriff in connection with this investigation, it was unsealed and made public. Okay, so no criminal charges issued here, but it was made public, and, and a number of newspapers ran with this story. Um, the sheriff... The sheriff took issue with this, the former sheriff, and he sent out a, a tweet. Um, here's what it says. It First of all, I'm looking at it, and it shows um, the, the sheriff, former sheriff, David Clark, his face superimposed on the body of a wrestler that is kicking another wrestler um, whose face is blanked out and says CNN, 
um, while that wrestler is being held by another wrestler, in this case with the, with the picture of Donald Trump's face superimposed on it. Go figure. Here's what the sheriff writes. Breaking news. When lying lib media makes up fake news to smear me, the antidote is to go right at them, punch them in the nose, and make them taste their own blood. Nothing gets a bully like lying lib media's attention better than to give them a taste of their own blood. Hashtag never back down. And he sends that out at 4 p.m. on December 30th. Okay, now the report that is out there is that as a result of of essentially this tweet, the the sheriff has apparently his, his Twitter account has been blocked, temporarily at least, after Twitter's users' complaints alerted the company that three of his messages violated the time, um, the terms of service. Here's the way Channel 4 reports it. Clark was placed in read-only mode, mode until he deleted three tweets that seemed to call for violence against members of the media. In one of them, which has since been deleted, Clark told his followers, when lying lib media makes up news to smear me, the antidote is to go right at them, punch them in the nose, and make them taste their own blood. Nothing gets a bully like lying lib media's attention than better than to give them a taste of their own blood. Again, the tweet featured a graphic of Trump's face superimposed on a wrestler holding another wrestler labeled CNN. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reason that the sheriff, former sheriff's account was apparently blocked is a handful of people complained that this was calling for violence against members of the media. In other words, that we should read his tweets that... When they try to smear Clark, the antidote is to punch them in the nose and make them taste their own blood. That that was a call to violence for supporters of of David Clark or Donald Trump or whatever to actually go out and physically assault members of the media. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I want to be honest here. I don't understand what... David Clark thinks he gains or gains by by sending out tweets like that. Okay, I just, I I don't. Um, And it seems to me if you're going to be a grown-up, you need to kind of get past that, that sort of stuff. But at the same time, do you interpret this really as a a call for, for violence? And, you know, should we read this literally, that when Sheriff Clark says, when lying lib media makes up news to smear me, the antidote is to go right at them, punch them in the nose, and make them taste their own blood. And by the way, I'm not even sure what the, the made-up news is. In this case, the guy who was involved in the altercation files a complaint. The FBI investigates it. The U.S. attorney says no basis to issue criminal charges. I'm not sure exactly what the lie in this all is, but regardless... The sheriff or the former sheriff apparently figured there was some issue here. All right. When he sends out this tweet, is this really a call for violence? And would you interpret it as such? 414-799-1620. Candidly, while I think this is sort of an immature thing to do, um, to, to say that he's really calling on people to go and punch reporters in the face strikes me as 
more than a bit of an overreach. But what do you think? 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Very glad to be back from vacation as well. The Bucks battle the Indiana Pacers for the first time all season, and it comes up tomorrow evening at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause hit the air with Buck Shots 640 tomorrow night right here on WTMJ. Look, I the reason I started the Sheriff Clark topic with kind of going back to the old days is I I remember when David Clark was a breath of fresh air. Uh, when when he first started as the sheriff, he was a guy that I, I really, I mean, I remember meeting with him, and I was a big supporter of David Clark because I think he was saying things that needed to be said. And I understand he ruffled some feathers, including the feathers of some people that I both know and respect. But in general, I, I thought, you know, he, he was trying to make a change, and he was at least opening up things for, you know, a, a dialogue to, to make things better. That's why when people ask me about the David Clark legacy, I always divide it into two sort of areas. That the first six or seven or eight years where I, I think he was, again, the guy kind of, you know, railing against the system, you know, trying to make changes. And then the last few years where, to me, he became more of a guy who was sort of um, fell in love with, with the publicity and, and the image and I'm going to be America's sheriff. And I, I mean, I didn't fault him campaigning for Donald Trump. Tom Barrett campaigns for Hillary Clinton. You know, that that's not the issue. It was just, I, I think in many respects, Sheriff Clark became kind of a caricature of, of, of what, you know, he was originally. That's why I, I, I think, you know, it was time for him to, to move on. And I certainly wish him the best. I don't understand why you would send out tweets like this. I mean, I, first of all, in this particular case, I'm not sure what the lie really was. Like I say, sounds like the FBI got this complaint. They did an investigation, determined there was no basis for criminal charges. Boom, you know, move, move on. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why you would do something like this. Now, having said that, though, having said that, the, the idea, and, and this is this is where I think we've got to kind of come back to reality in 2018, um, the, the idea that, okay, David Clark sending out a tweet like this is really designed to promote violence. Now, come on. I, I think people on both sides need to kind of wake up. Pat in Hales Corners. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I, just a real quick thought here. I mean, is this the standard or the imagery we want to convey to our children and others about how law enforcement um, deals with Social issues. What what social issues are you referring to? Well, I'm referring to how we treat each other in the normal discourse and discharge of our responsibilities as responsible adults. Uh, more to the point, uh, responsible law enforcement. Well, yeah, well, he's imagery, out of law. Yeah, he's out of law. Well, I understand that. Yeah. But the imagery that's conveyed oh. there. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I agree with. Look, I mean, I, I'm thank, I mean, look, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to defend this tweet. Don't, don't get me wrong, because I think it's. I mean, I don't know how old David Clark is. He's probably in his sixties, right, upper fifties, something like that. Maybe a little bit older, right? And I, I mean, yes. Why you would send out a tweet with your face superimposed on that of a, a WWE wrestler, um, showing you 
leg kicking. <laughs> you know, another wrestler who has the thing CNN Super. Why you would do that is beyond me. I, I get it. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, what what were you, you thinking? And and I agree with you on the point of the discourse. I guess the flip side of it is, you know, is, is, does anybody really think that this is promoting violence? Isn't this one where it's just, it's a dumb story all around? David and Raymond. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just, um, I just don't think there's anything worth. It, it's not even worth talking about. <laughs> that it's so silly, so puerile, so, so bizarre that, that you'd send it out in the first go. place. That's yeah, the word bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is, and I'm, I'm kind of. I, again, I was sort of looking at this whole thing, and then and then somebody, okay, so he sends it out in the first place. You go, okay, really, why? And then somebody says, oh, this is, you know, this violates the Twitter rules. It's just, it's a dumb, it, it's kind of like, you know, eight-year-olds wrestling around in the playground that is the Internet, you know? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I just, I, I just, sometimes you just got to let this stuff go. Now, thanks for calling. And in some respects, it does, it, it does pain me that it's kind of come to this, because like I say, I think there was a period of time where, you know, David Clark had a lot of positive contributions to this community. And the more of this stuff that goes on, the, the more I, I think people forget about those positive contributions and the positive dialogue, I think the more it becomes more and more difficult for people to remember that type of, of stuff and remember the David Clark that was like sharing a podium with me, you know, years ago for these events at the zoo and stuff like that, who was talking about real life conditions. The more and more of this silliness that you get, the more difficult it becomes to remember that other David Clark. Now, having said, is this really, you know, a, a call for violence against members of the media? People need to lighten up on that side as well. You cannot make this stuff up, though. It is bizarre, and that is how we start 2018. John McCure is in next. We'll find out what he's got on his mind. Please stick around. 255 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is good to be back. I forgot how much I missed doing this show. Stick around.